As a sales manager, you are judged by the performance of your team and you're praised when they do well. But one thing that you've not been able to figure out is how to get everyone on your team consistently hitting quota every single month. On the Snack Size Sales Podcast, we discuss the science of selling STEM. Sales leadership in the science, technology, engineering, and manufacturing fields is difficult. You will learn from sales managers just like you that will give you actionable insights and tips on how to develop as a leader and achieve your revenue targets every single month. So pop your headphones in and get ready to listen to my guests today. They will give you information and inspiration to ensure that you have actionable insights that you can put into place today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Science of Selling STEM. Today, I am so delighted to have Ronnell Richards here with me. How are you doing today? Wesley, I'm fantastic. I, you know, really been looking forward to this. Been on this, been on my calendar for about a month. You're super busy. It's hard to pin you down, so let's knock it out. Awesome. Let me tell you guys a little bit about Ronell. He has built a career out of creating businesses and developing sales professionals into high-level performers. He's taught individuals how to feel part of a team and perform better as a result. He's successfully strategized with both small and large businesses to take their progress to the next level. This has given him a unique perspective on success that he brings to every aspect of his life. As an award-winning entrepreneur, Ronell knows what it takes to aim high and hit even higher. Wow. That's so corporate, huh? Ah, <laughs> aim high and hit higher. I am so excited to dig into your background. So tell me, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are now? Well, I wish that it wasn't such a long story, but it is a long story because it's a long, long time ago. <laughs> so, you know, my journey and path to corporate sales and, and that world is is not like a lot of folks, right? Like a lot of people that go to college and get that corporate job. And uh, yeah, it wasn't the case for me. So, you know, I started out as a kid really in into entrepreneurship, right? Like my parents were entrepreneurs and, you know, and so I got an education in sales and business that most kids just don't get at that young of an age, right? I'm working cash registers. I'm learning how to do add-on sales. I'm taking deposits to the bank, doing things like that. We're doing inventory, right? Not fun stuff for kids, but it really kind of set me on a course for where I, first of all, helped me to identify where my talents lay, right? In terms of communicating with people and being able to articulate myself really well, right? And so I kind of, you know, learned that at an early age and was able to kind of lean into that. So, you know, fast forward into my college years, you know, that's when I started my first professional sales job. But, you know, I was always a salesperson, always a salesperson, right? Always a salesperson, always an entrepreneur. As a kid, you know, and I didn't doodle, right? Because I was a horrible, uh, <laughs> I'm a horrible artist, but I've got notebooks of all my little business ideas, right? Anyway, so um, fast forward to college, when I started my first professional sales gig, and that was working for a jewelry company. Right. And that's how I got into, you know, sales professionally and worked for that jewelry company, did pretty well and, you know, became one of their sales managers after being a sales leader for a bit. And yeah, that's something I'm pretty proud of. You know, this was, I became a sales manager for them, I think at 21, 
you know, it's rough around 21. And at the time I was the youngest sales manager in their company and the only African-American sales manager in their company. And I'm going to claim it because I think that it's true. Now I can't confirm it, but I believe I was the very first. Mm. So, which is something that brings me great pride. So anyway, did that for five ish years, right? Jewelry industry. And, you know, then, then I transitioned into technology, into telecom. Like, wow, that's a pretty big jump, right? Like, how do you go from selling jewelry to selling um, telecom and technologies? Well, you know, that was right around the turn of the millennium, right? Like right after that and telecom was booming, right? Tons of what we called at the time Celex, competitive local exchange carriers, hopping into the local services, you know, B2B market. And, you know, there were a ton of companies out there. And I just happened to have some friends that went over to one of these companies and they were actually jewelry guys as well. They had been in leadership in jewelry and they were just killing it. They were killing it. They said, well, I know you need to come over and do this. And at the time I had actually transitioned to a, I was doing, I was on the street, I was on the road and it sucked. It's the worst job I've ever had, but I, <laughs> I, I was on the road as a traveling wholesale jewelry guy. God, it was very stressful. You know, driving around with a million dollars worth of jewelry is not, <laughs> it was tough anyway. So that's how I got into, into the telecom industry, right? Um, through some friends and kind of took off from there. Um, had some success at my very first company, McLeod USA. Again, my background is entrepreneurship. I've always known that I was going to be an entrepreneur. It's who I am. And so, you know, after working for a couple of companies in that room, that's when I started my first company. Started my company, RD Direct which was a channel agency focused on selling telecom and technology solutions B2B. And, um, you know, grew that, had some really good success there, um, transitioned that to a few other companies doing some of the same things. Again, this is a long story, so I'm going to try to make a long story short. Here we are today, and, you know, I've run four different agencies that, you know, have done some of the similar stuff, selling technology products and SaaS products, um, telecom products, B2B, growing those organizations, leading their sales efforts. And, uh, you know, today I still own one of those agencies. I do a lot of consulting and coaching for channel agencies and for um, carriers and, and suppliers that are looking to expand their businesses in indirect channel. And we run this little brand called Business and Bourbon, which is doing pretty well, too. Little brand business in bourbon. So you had a very, I would say, different upbringing because so many people that own their own businesses today, I call them first generation business owners. So they don't really understand how to run a business. They didn't really, they're like learning as they go, falling and failing and coming back up. So what's one thing that you would say you growing up in the business, watching your parents as entrepreneurs, how has that helped you in your career? So I think it's, I'll say this, there are a lot of people that have experience of, you know, parents being entrepreneurs. The difference in my upbringing, and this is something that I would tell, you know, any of you entrepreneurs out there or leaders in business, just in general, involve your kids in the process. You know, the difference is, you know, between my upbringing and lots of others that had entrepreneurial parents is they knew their parents did something, but they weren't really involved in it. I was involved in it in a daily basis. You know, when I was, I can tell you right now, when I was in, the third grade. And when I was eight years old, I'd come home. We lived about three blocks away from my elementary school. There was a bus stop right outside of just on the next block over from my house. I'd hop on the bus and I'd ride that bus downtown to where my parents' shop was. 
And then I'd be there and I'd work there. I'd be on the cash register and doing those things that you do. And so, yeah, the difference for me is I was really involved and, you know, there's some might say it came at a little bit of a cost. I wasn't a kid that had a lot of toys and all that sort of thing, but you know, I learned some skills. I learned through experience and things that people don't know, you know, well into their adulthood. And so, you know, that's one of the differences for me, right? Being engaged. And so in the business. And so, you know, when I started my businesses, I followed my parents' example, right? So my kids, now they didn't have to take the bus. <laughs> I wasn't letting them take the bus. They didn't have to do that. But uh, my kids are now both college students, but I have very fond memories of elementary school and them getting off of their little school bus. I'd pick them up from the school bus, drive them right to my office, and they'd sit in cubicles right next to all of my employees doing their homework and all that other stuff. So they've always been involved and engaged in the businesses that I've been involved in as well, including business and bourbon. My daughter and my son will, in fact, we're about to head to Tampa for an event and my daughter will be there working that event. That's awesome. I know recently my son asked me, he said, uh, mommy, why does it seem like you need a CRM to live? I was like, I'm so glad you asked. That means you've been aptly listening to my conversations. And then my younger son was like, so I'm curious. I heard you talking about such and such. How much money did you make on that? Like It's like the things that they are hearing and that gives us an opportunity as parents to really help them understand like, hey, this is what I do every day and this is how I help people. So these things that you hear me say over and over and over again, this is the why behind it. And I really commend you for involving your kids in the business because I do think that that's one thing that us as leaders, as whether you're a sales leader within a company or you own your own business, we don't actually tell our kids how, the how, right? They just see what's happening at that moment. They see whether we're stressed out, we're traveling, we're gone, but they don't understand all the little bitty steps involved in getting there. Okay, Wesleyan, here you are touching on something that I really wanted to talk to you about. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to talk about it really quick. So my book is coming out this year and it's called, you know, Shut the Hell Up and Sell. And (laughs) what you're talking about right now is really kind of the crux of what my book is about. It's two parts. Mm. It's one part philosophy and it's one part execution, right? So as a sales, you know, leader, coach, and trainer, you know, I personally hired and trained hundreds of salespeople, right? And I've been involved with other firms that coach and train salespeople. And one of the things that I see that's consistent in this is that trainers and coaches will go out to companies and they will teach people whatever their tactical, they'll teach them tactical execution, right? And when they leave, the people that were successful, well, they're still successful. And the people that were failing, they're usually still failing, right? And so as I sat down to think about my book, and this took a few years to really kind of marinate and think about how I wanted to present myself in that that type of media, I thought about how can we be most most effective in making impact and helping people? And so I think about kids. You just made a, you just talked about educating your, your son and, you know, I thought about discipline. Say if your kid does something wrong, like a lot of us that are a little bit older, we got, we've had those experiences where we got spankings or we got whoopings, right? And as I used to call them in my house. So there's always that kid that did something wrong, got the spanking. And what did he do? He kept doing the same thing. He just kept getting more spankings and just kept getting used to the spankings. It didn't really change the behavior, just kind of got used to the spankings, right? So I look at that from a salesperson standpoint and sales coaching and training. And what is lacking is 
philosophy, understanding, right? See, there's a big difference in when that child does something wrong and you say, hey, look, look, son, here's why that's wrong. Here's the impact of what you're, what you just did, right? You did that. And this is going to happen as a result. And let me tell you how I know that. I know that because here was my experience. Now, when you do that, it makes a total different impact in terms of learning. And so what I set out to accomplish in my book is really teach my philosophy on why these things are important, why they matter, why they will impact your business and correlate that back to my own personal experience through stories of my own past um, to help people better understand. So my goal and my focus in training and coaching sellers moving forward is to connect them with the philosophy of why we do what it is that we do, not just go do this and it will result in that because you know what? I've seen it for, again, I'm 25 years now in sales. It doesn't work. Now, don't get me wrong. There are always outliers, but by and large, it just doesn't work because people can't really commit to process and commit to frameworks and commit to structures unless they can really understand why. That's so good. And, you know, I guess I didn't even know that we, we had the same philosophy because a lot of times that's the missing piece, right? It's Absolutely. you have these people and they're washing out so quick, right? One of the, the biggest things that a lot of companies are talking about these days is the lack of diversity, right? In leadership positions, sure. whether it's women or underrepresented minorities. And I'm like, yeah, so the reason yeah. is because you don't have enough entry-level people and those entry-level people that you get in, you're not giving them enough ante to understand the why behind what they're doing. And so they just wash out. They just leave. They're like, well, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And so when I'm working with people, that's like one of the very first things that we do. They're like, oh yeah, we want to do this. We want to do this. We want to do that. I want to do this. I'm like, yeah, okay. So what you need to do is you need to stop and think about the why. And then even as a leader, so many times a leader wants to be upfront and answer the questions or be the one that gets the acclaim and fame. And I'm like, no. You have to, the only way your salespeople are going to learn is if you step behind and let them do. And if they fall, that's okay. You explain to them, hey, you weren't successful because this happened or that happened, or you did a great job. These are the things you did really, really well at, right? So really helping them understand what's happening underneath the scenes. And as you were talking, something that popped in my brain that I literally never thought of is my mom, her degrees are in early childhood education. And when she disciplined us, it was the same way. It's like, okay, yep. you did this wrong, but let me help you understand why. And I do the same thing with my mm -hmm. kids. And I think that has actually helped me. <laughs> so you just unlocked something for me. Wesleyan, you know, what you learn after lots of years of managing and leading people, and especially in an entrepreneurial environment, that there are a lot of correlations to, and this isn't something to denigrate people. It's just human nature, but there are a lot of correlations to parenting. There just is, you know, a lot of the things that you do in parenting to be successful and in, in parenting, you, you apply to leadership and sales leadership and business leadership and vice versa. You know, it's so often I'm like, I don't, you said you don't want to denigrate anyone. And I often find myself like, I ask people, do you have kids? <laughs> right? Because it's like yeah. people want it. Sometimes they say no. And I'm like, do you have nieces or nephews? Because when you think about something that way, and I'm like, I'm not saying that your salespeople are like kids, but let's use a real world example or something that you've done, you know, coaching your kids sports team. Okay. Do you go get the soccer ball and do you kick the ball for them to make the goal? 
No. So why are you actually doing that? Why are you going and closing the sale for them? You tell them how to do it, right? You lead them. And so when we're able to help people understand that connection, I really think that's how they grow. So you went from the jewelry industry to a completely different industry. And uh, one thing that I say often, I know you guys love hearing me say this, is stop hiring your competitors' rejects, (laughs) right? So you knew how to sell in the jewelry industry. What of those skills did you find transferable when you completely transitioned? Super easy, super easy. And this is why I love really great like retail salespeople. They understand how to build a connection in a short period of time. They really understand the relationship building piece. One of the challenges that we've had over the years when, you know, we hire, you know, we hire folks out of, out of college, right, is, and that's their first entry into the business world is everything's really academic, right? Everything's really academic and, and they're great at spreadsheets and great at, you know, trying to do presentations and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, I had, a, I had a sales manager tell me this when I first started in jewelry a gazillion years ago. He said, you know what? Go make a friend. At the end of the day, that's what you learn in that environment, how to connect with someone, how to do a... <laughs> I'm a big fan of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and there's a character named Mac on that, and he he does an ocular pat down, which is basically when people come into their bar, he looks and he's like, okay, they're clear. He's good. I did my ocular pat down. Anyway, you learn how to, I don't want to say size people up because I don't believe in like, you know, because you also learn that, hey, don't judge anyone. <laughs> like, don't judge anyone. Like that person that's walking in, it's dusty and they could be a millionaire, right? But you learn how to find connection faster. You learn how to build a relationship faster. Because in that business, listen, you walk into my store, what happens in that first, even that first 15 seconds is impactful. How I greet you, how I look at you, if I extend my hand, you learn the importance of all those little things, right? In terms of building a connection with that person in front of you. So when I transitioned to technology, oh man, I was way ahead of the game way ahead of the game. Because here's the thing. Sometimes people think that the technology or they lead too much with the tech. They lead too much with what their value props of their product and their product are. But at the end of the day, your value props don't matter to me. What matters to me is me and my business and what's going on with my business. Again, this stuff is all in the book, guys, it's coming out. So like, you know, and that's what we teach. That's what I teach. And that's what we teach in the book is like, we need to create connection. You need to find out what you think doesn't matter. We need to find out what's going on in that person's world. What matters most to them? Because what matters most to them, nine times out of 10 is not your product. It's not your services. But once you understand what really matters to them, you can find a way to take your product and your services and paint that in a way to where it impacts what they really care about. Like that's one of the things I always, in my companies, we've sold bandwidth for a whole bunch of years. And bandwidth was the fix all for everything, <laughs> whatever ails you. And this is what I've always taught my salespeople. Like, yo, just, we got to find what the pain is. Find their pain is, find what they care about. And then we're going to frame that, our solution in a way to where it impacts us. Because it will, it can, as long as we paint the picture the right way. So anyway, my long way of answering your question that ability to connect with people, that ability to build to build the basic framework for a relationship fast. 
And I think you hit the nail on your head, on the head. What is most important is those transferable sales skills. I don't care what you sold before, but if you're a good salesperson in one industry, I can teach you my product because my product is great. Like you said, it's all about bandwidth, but who cares about our product? Let me make sure that you know how to connect with the person. Let me make sure that you fully know how to diagnose and understand what their challenges are. Then we bring the product knowledge back in. And in these technical industries that I worked with in STEM, everybody wants to leave with the product. I'm like, nobody cares about that crap. Like nobody cares about it. When I was a salesperson, I used to tell people, I speak engineer because my clients are engineers. So what did I have to do? I had to understand all of the technical language that they were using, all of those things that they were talking about and connect that back to our product, right? And if we think about that, like, I, I just love what you said. It's all about bandwidth, but which yeah. bit and piece do I need to connect with? They need more bandwidth. You know, Wesleyan, I am, you're just about to hear this from me because you don't know this about me. So I'm originally from Ohio, O-H-I-O, grew up in Utah. And so my parents moved to Utah when I was like four years old and opened businesses, businesses that catered to mostly African-American community. We're talking about, you know, the eighties and nineties. So like I'm a born disruptor. <laughs> it's what I do. It's what I've always done. It's all that I know. So I say that to say, I give the problem. You made mention of the salespeople and how they are all product based, right? And, and focused on their product and value props and everything, which is absolutely true but I give them a pass because it it's not their fault. They're part of a system that creates that because when you get that job at whatever tech company and you sit down and you go to their two weeks of training or whatever it is, you know what they're focusing 90% of that training on? Here's our product. Here's why it's awesome. Here's our value props. You know, and so where I say I'm disrupting, I'm coming in and I'm kicking in the door and I'm saying, no, that's not how we do it. Cause I say, look, tech company, you got all of these technical overlay people. Right. When I started my career in technology, I didn't know anything. I didn't know what a T1 was. It didn't matter though. What did matter is that I had the resources to be able to bring in those people. So when I say you have all these technical overlays, do we have to know our product? Sure. Do we have to know our product as much as we think? No, because you know, what our customer wants is they want somebody that will attend to their needs, that cares about what they care about and is a resource for solutions. So like as a salesperson, I don't need to know everything about the product. I don't even know everything. I need to be able, I need to absolutely be a resource to it. I need to absolutely be able to have that overlay or that specialist that I can bring in that can help to really create the solution that's tailor-made to that customer. So again, what I'm saying is that what we're doing and what I'm doing with my book and what I'm doing with my coaching and training is disrupting a system that is built improperly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think one of the things that boils my skin is when you start talking to some of these larger enterprise companies, they're like, oh yeah, we have sales enablement. Oh yeah, we do our own sales training. I'm like, you're doing product training. You're not actually teaching people how to sell. And then, yeah. you know, you're like, it's not the salesperson's fault. I go a little bit deeper and like, I see so much stuff on LinkedIn about this is how you cold call. Or this is how you do this. Or this is how you do that. Like they're talking about symptoms, right? But I'm like, Hey, if you're able to sell all of this to the salespeople, the problem is not the salespeople, it's the sales leadership. It's the companies. They're mm -hmm. not providing what they need. Ooh. Because if I am a good sales manager, I'm going to teach you what you need. You don't need to go out there and spend a thousand dollars to learn how to cold call or how to write a script. So that for me is the big issue. It's the companies, it's the sales managers. And then again, yeah. when we say it's not the salespeople's problem, 
It's not the sales manager's problems because they were the number one salesperson that got promoted and all they know how to do is what they know how to do. That's it, <laughs> right? They don't know. Virtual fifth bump. <laughs> Virtual fifth bump because we're here on that. Because again, this is part of the problem in the system. Like, and again, Wesley, we're right here with this. So your path to sales management is to be a great seller, right? A great individual contributor. But you and I know that the skill set that it takes to be a great leader and the skill set that it takes to be a great individual contributor are very different. They're very different. And so, you know, that's why where you talk about these weak sales management and leadership, it's because they don't know how to do it properly. All they know to do is what they did. And you can't, it's like Michael Jordan becoming a coach. Michael Jordan's a, he's a horrible coach because Michael Jordan is just like, listen, what you do is you do a crossover, you go between your legs, you go, you do a, a windmill and then you dunk on him. And meanwhile, I'm sitting here at six foot and 200 pounds. I'm like, uh, but Mike, I can't do that. Well, why can't you? I can do it. <laughs> so you can't, you know, you have to have that ability to really, first of all, be able to invest in others, um, really care about others. Because let's be honest, a lot of really successful salespeople are very selfish. You got to be. It just is what it is, you know, bigger egos. And so, yeah, when you talk about that sales leadership and sales management, I think there's another opportunity for disruption to in working with these companies and how they hire, what they look for. And then, hey, I get it. If you're a top salesperson, you want to be a sales leader. We got to do better in how we train these folks and how we prepare them for success. Whenever someone fails under my watch, this has always been, always been my mantra. If they fail under my watch, that's on me. If I hire somebody for a role and they're not successful, I take it personally. Does that mean that I don't fire anybody? No. Sometimes you got to fire people and sometimes it doesn't work out. And yes, there is some culpability that they have as well, right? Ownership they have to take. But for me, I'm always taking, It's. I think it starts for anyone that's in a hiring position and looking and saying, hey, look, what am I doing to best prepare that person for success in this role that I'm putting them in? In the sales, tech sales world, there's room for a ton of improvement. Mm. One thing that I always ask leaders, because a lot of times they're like, oh yeah, this person isn't producing. They're not doing this. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And so I say, well, okay, let me ask you a question. Have you given that person 100% of what they need to be successful? Mm -hmm. And they have to pause and think. And I think probably 99% of the time they say, no, I have not, right? And that's the thing. Before we place blame on operations isn't doing this, product isn't doing this, salespeople aren't doing this, what in and of yourself have you done to ensure that you're managing across up and down, right? So those things that sales managers, salespeople, we're always placing blame. And then as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you take it personally, right? It's like, but I hired this person and I thought they were going to be good. What happened, right? Like, what did I do something wrong? Was it them? And so what you as somebody who seems very introspective, what are your tips when you have somebody who may be on the fringes and they're not doing right? How do you deal with that situation? Oh, communication. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> I had a leader that I learned, learned from a long time ago and, and I always kind of apply this in my business. I believe in some respects you over communicate. Like, so this particular scenario where you're talking about, Hey, look, maybe they're not meeting expectations and there's all, you know, so over communicate. Here's what's going to happen when you do that. And you're really honest with where we're at and where people are at. 
they're going to either go one of two ways. They're going to go like this. They're going to really check in or they're going to check out. And both are good. Both are good. I often say like, <laughs> you know, people, certain people, like someone's watching this right now. I really lean into Ronell, just so if you haven't noticed, I lean into who I am. Because there's certain people that are watching this right now, what's saying, and they're like, yo, this guy, I dig, man, this is my guy. And then other people are like, oh no, I'm out. This dude, I don't like him. And part of that, again, is because I over communicate a little bit, right? And I think that gets us to success faster. And bringing this back to the salesperson, you know, if you over communicate, you sit down, you have that conversation with them and you tell them, hey, look, this is exactly where, and you tell them what you're concerned about. What's going on on your end, like, right? And how they relate to that. They're going to go one of two ways. And I believe in making it and controlled emotion. I am an emotional leader. I'm a controlled emotional leader. I don't ever, I think a lot of great coaches are that way. If you look at like sports coaches that are really successful, like a Nick Saban, Nick Saban is, he may look emotional at times on the sideline. Oh, he's not. He's controlled. He's sending a message. And so I've learned, this is something I, I would share with leaders out there learn how to use emotion as your tool. Never, I never get out of pocket. I never lose control, but I will, I'll place a colorful expletive. I'll do different things that different, that really kind of shoot the mess, but it's always under control and it's always respectful, but it's just another way of sending home the message. So again, bring it back. I'd sit down, have a conversation, put all the cards on the table, all the cards on the table. That's going to get you fastest to wherever it is you want to go. Going through all of your so let me do my 90 day performance plan. We're going to do, I'm putting you on form. No, man, you know what that'll do? Usually it'll usually get people just kind of dragging it out, dragging it out and still underperforming. Put all the cards on the table. They're, they're going to check in or they're going to check out. And both of those are good for you because you don't want someone dragging along, hanging and not really checked in. And if someone really was want to check in, well, you want that. You want a little more emotional. You want them to be a little more emotionally connected because that means they're going to work harder and you can lean into them more. Ah, communication, something that so often in our relationships, whether professionally or personally, we don't do right. And a lot of times it's like you're the shrinking violent when there's difficult conversations to be had, but it's better to just come out front and be like, Hey, we need to have a conversation. And these are the things that you're doing. Well, these are things that are not going so well. So how can we move forward? Right? Just having that upfront, honest, open communication with your employees really helps you grow as a leader and helps them grow as a individual. So you have this really no cool doubt. business. I want you to tell us a little bit about it. How did it come to be? Sure. What's it called? And what you guys do there? Sure. So I'm um, so I run a couple of companies. Again, we have I still have a, I have a channel sales agency that sells B2B products for you know mostly SaaS products for you know, larger technology companies, right? And I do coaching and consulting, but as well, uh, which I mentioned earlier. But what people get most excited about is business and bourbon. And you know, like I said earlier in this conversation, I'm a born disruptor. It's who I am. And we are. Here's the big broad statement. Uh, we are disrupting the way that business is being done, okay? And this goes back to some of my core philosophies on how people sell, right? And how we sell, which is product-based and all that. And so when I say disrupting how we're doing business, we do that by creating experiences and creating events that really help to create a foundation and an environment for connecting at a higher and deeper level. Where I told you that I lean into who I am, the reason I lean into who I am is because I want to connect with the people that are in on me as fast as possible. And the people that aren't, 
I don't care because I know the people that are in on me, those are people that I'm going to be able to do business with because we've got high alignment, right? Maybe they got kids like I got. Maybe they curse every now and then. Maybe they enjoy whiskey, all those sorts of things, right? And so we'll connect at a deeper level, which will allow us to do better business and do business for longer, all right? So that's what we do at Business and Bourbon by creating these experiences, both in-person and virtual experiences that connect business professionals and sales leaders so that they can create those types of deeper relationships, right? So a few ways that we do that, again, we have an in-person event that travels across the country, which is a, we call it whiskey wisdom and collaboration. We do, we have whiskey taste and we have our chef, our food network chef, uh, Steve Beatty, who prepares food uh, pairings on site. We have dynamic speakers. We have a panel discussion and you know, the focus of this, I'm giving you the short and condensed version. Those are just kind of the highlights, but the focus of this is the audience. It's the people that are in attendance. We want to serve them. We want to serve them and we want to create an environment where they can connect with other people, right? So it's high energy. There's not sitting. There's a lot of moving around. There's a lot of getting to know people because, you know, again, we understand that I understand through my 25 years in business that the key to doing great business and doing better business is finding people that you have great high alignment with and connecting with them. So that's one of the things we do. We also do virtual stuff as well. We have a fantastic webinar series, which I don't even like calling it a webinar because when people think webinar, they think like traditional webinar where it's like people talking at you, but we don't do that. Like we are, when I say disrupting, like even my partners, our corporate partners and sponsors have a hard time doing what is asked of them on our platforms because I tell them, hey, listen, I say, listen, big company, don't pitch. <laughs> you don't get to pitch your product. That's all they know how to do is, okay, here's my money. Okay, so I get to speak. Okay, cool. I'm gonna speak and say, hey, well, you know, we do X, Y, and Z. No, here's what you do. You bring value to the audience. You can share based upon your expertise. It just has to be a valuable, impactful share that's going to make, um, get a high emotional impact with our audience. Because I understand, again, going back to what it is that we're about, we're about creating this environment that is conducive to building relationships and connection, right? And so that's going to happen when I've got, when you come on, Wesley, and you speak and you talk about something that's not, oh, I do this and I do, nobody gives a shit. When you talk about, hey, look, you know, here's how you can be a better leader. Here's why I think the sales model is flawed and how you can do better. And then what happens? People are like, oh, she, I dig her. I need to find out more about her. But they also talk amongst themselves. They're like, oh, that was pretty dope. What'd you think of that? Oh, I thought, and guess what happens? Organically and naturally, people connect at a higher level. So again, we do that. We do virtual whiskey tasting experiences. We do virtual cocktail experiences. Each of these are designed for different things. Our webinar series, again, is a virtual version of our in-person where we, we do a mixer where people get to connect and collaborate. And then our panel gets to engage with the audience. We don't talk with them. We involve them in the discussion and the discussion serves them. So anyone that hops on one of my platforms, like the first thing they'll, they'll find out they're going to be a panelist is that you're going to get like two, three questions from me. And then we're done because we really lean into what the audience needs because you know, we've done our events all over the country. And you know, what people care about in Missoula, Montana is way different than what people care about in Tampa, you know, and vice versa. So like, that's what we do. Um, we bring whiskey as part of it, but it's not about the whiskey, guys. It's called business and bourbon for a reason. It's always business before bourbon. Mm -hmm. 
always business before bourbon. The whiskey, a lot of people that come to our events, I mean, they don't drink and that's fine because it's not about drinking. It's about connecting with people. It's about doing better business through building deeper relationships. Wow. That is amazing. There were so many things that you said that really resonated with me. I think the one thing is that <laughs> I feel like networking is broken, right? The way the traditional model of networking is very broken, right? Because you show up, you do your little elevator pitch. You're like, okay, what business do you have for me? You don't have anything? Okay, I'm gone. And I'm never coming back, right? That's one thing. And then on the flip side, on the, the business corporate sponsorship side, um, really feeling, again, the same thing. Oh, I'm here to just pitch myself. And something that I really hold on to is educate them and they will come, right? You don't have to be pushing. Yep. Don't be so pushy. Don't be like stuffing it down their throat. Teach them something. And they're like, oh, I got that for free. Like, what would I get if I paid a little something for it, right? Like make them curious. And so it sounds like you're doing really amazing things traveling throughout the country as well as virtually. So when you think about your career, what is one thing that you are most excited about accomplishing? You've done so much. I don't know. Can you pin it down to one? So that's always been hard for me. And it's been hard for me because I'm given my background and given where, you know, where we come from, we being my family. And I've never been one to, I've had trouble with gratitude and I've been working on that over the last couple of years. And so a lot of things that I've accomplished and I've done, I didn't really take time to really be grateful for it and be like, oh man, that was pretty dope. Like, so it's been like just checking off boxes. Okay. Did that. All right. Next do that, do that. Do that. And so I'm learning to do better with that, which makes that a difficult question for me. Right. But overall, the thing that I'm most grateful for and my biggest accomplishment, it's my kids, man. Like just seeing them go into young adulthood and both go in the natural track there of college students and everything, right? It's just, it's, I'm witnessing their lifestyle, the things that they've been able to experience, the things that are normal for them. Like I'm seeing generational change, like right in front of my eyes. I mean, like, you know, I'm from, we're from Youngstown, Ohio, man. I'm from, we're from steel mill country. And I just to see and experience through their eyes how things that are real were really abnormal for me are just normal for them and to me that's beautiful and part of that comes from my entrepreneurial journey you know and when i say lifestyle guys i'm not just talking about you know, money and stuff it's just i'm talking about culturally you know like they've been able to be raised in a diverse environment where they're not overly impressed by the bs you know so yeah and a little tip for my entrepreneurial folks out there and people in general, but especially entrepreneurs, get your five, two, nine plans. Cause you know, in entrepreneurship, money's going to come and money's going to go. I've seen a lot of success and I've seen massive failure. And so the one thing that I started that when my son, who's the oldest, you know, when he was a couple, I don't know, six months old, something like that started saving. And so there was always something regardless of my business doing this and all that, that was always there. And so now with them being in college, I have that to draw on. And that's, that is, <laughs> again, made a lot, lost a lot, had all, all those, those cars that you guys are like idolizing, like, yeah, I've, I've owned them, um, exotic cars and all that stuff, but like, and they've come and gone, but that's always been there. <laughs> and so that's the thing that I'm most proud of. 
I love it. And um, generational change. I think that's how I can kind of sum up the thing that you're you're most excited about accomplishing. And listening to you, I was thinking about my son the other day. I was dropping him off at school. And he was like, yeah, we had this conversation on the bus. And people were talking about how many states they've been to. And I was like, I didn't want to say anything because I've been to 25 states. And they've only been to like one or two. And it's because it's it's cultures like oh I travel for work I need to bring my kids too like come on <laughs> let's go we're going somewhere right and so I think that the way that we're able to impart to change what has happened to us or the experience that we've had in our children is really something that we can hang our hat on oh this has been a great conversation what oh, thank you. is the one best way that people can get in contact with you everywhere <laughs> if you can't find me i'm slipping i'm absolutely slipping but um you can go find me on linkedin ronnell richards there's only one so far and two n's two l's you can google business and bourbon ronnell richards any of that stuff you'll find plenty of ways to contact with me and you can always email me ronnell at ronnellrichards.com doesn't get doesn't get any easier than that ronnell at ronnellrichards.com two n's two l's i love it ronnell this has been an amazing conversation we have talked all the way from starting out working in your parents business to what you're doing now giving back to your children thank you so much for sharing your time your talent, your expertise, and your energy with us today. No, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to sit and chop it up with you. And, and it's always an honor anytime anyone would offer up their platform and allow me to run my mouth. So Wesley and I appreciate it. Thank you so much again. And that was another episode of the Science of Selling STEM. In anything that you do, always remember to transform your sales. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today on the Snack-Sized Sales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave us a review. Learn how to continue increasing your bottom line by getting simplified sales strategies delivered to your inbox weekly by going to www.snacksizedsales.com. Trust me, your bank account will grow and love you.